How's it going, everyone? This is the Nips and Sips podcast show uh, featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my uh, usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a, another podcast uh, that recently came out a couple months ago, a very interesting topic uh, between Adam Minkins, who I think we've referenced a couple times on this show, a uh, very big uh, proponent of not doing manual therapy in physio or physical therapy, and Chad Cook, who's, uh, say, one of our forefathers and leading educators and researchers in manual therapy. Uh, but uh, before we get into that uh, discussion, Brandon, how's it going? Going well, Jareth. Thanks for the lovely intro, as always. Uh, definitely excited to, to kind of talk about um, this podcast, which uh, we've, you know, talked about these two individuals probably in passing in, in other episodes. I, I know I had sent out uh, an email blast on our IOSMT uh, site uh, and business uh, where we do our continuing education for our audience and members uh, to just kind of, you know, if they're interested, uh, listen to it and hopefully develop, you know, their own opinions and thoughts and, you know, kind of just present the uh, what's out there and hopefully people can kind of sift through the information and come out better um, on the other side. And I think it's really more of a reflection. So, you know, as we get back into the swing of things here, uh, we thought it would be good to just kind of give our thoughts and maybe some key things that stood out on our end. Uh, I think it's no surprise what side of the, the coin we will be on, but maybe it might, might surprise you with some of our, our takes here. So, uh, what's, uh, what's good on your end? What drink you have today? Oh yeah. So, um, for drink today, obviously, I usually get beer. One of these days, I will get to the whiskey um, and the bourbon that I have. But uh, wife got me, I forget for a while, they get now a beer of the month club, as if I didn't have enough beer in my life. Um, so I just, nice surprise, once a month, get a box of beer outside my door. It's a nice little present. Uh, so I have Double Mountain Vaporizer, which I believe is in uh, um, Colorado, uh yeah, Hood River, uh, Oregon, sorry, uh, which I actually went and visited with my brother. So that was especially cool. This is a uh, dry hopped pale ale. This is actually one of my favorite beers. So I've had it like three or four months, this beer month club, and it comes with four beers each time. This goes down as one of my favorites. Um, all right, going to give it an 8.5 on the, because I've already had uh, two of them. But uh, drinking out of my village, idiot. Uh, um, Brewing Co. That's in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Really good brewery. So hopefully, I, hopefully we're vaporizing. That's the beer's name. Some village idiots, maybe, in this conversation. But no, I actually thought it was you know a good conversation. Again, we're obviously biased towards maybe one of the uh, presenters, but uh, I thought it was a good discussion. But Brandon, what about you? What are you drinking? So going uh, going with another beer here today. In a row. It's not because I've uh, I'm switching to beer. I actually just had a birthday earlier this week, and uh, my friend and coworker uh, Marta had uh, gotten this for me uh, for my birthday. So it's Gray Sale Brewing of Rhode Island. It's called Dave's Coffee Stout. Uh, knowing that I don't like beers, but I am getting to the stouts and porters. Um, she had gotten this, so I actually had one uh, on my birthday. I went home and cracked it open. So I do have a rating, though my rating. Uh, scale isn't as refined as yours and your esteemed palate that you have here, but I'm, I'm trying to do my best Jeremy rendition here. I'm pouring it in front of uh, the camera for everybody. 
I'll give my rating here in a second. It's trying to build this up. Uh, I guess I should read it. You like to read your ingredients. It's an American stout infused with a blend of Ethiopian and Brazilian coffee, roasted and blended here in Rhode Island. So that's a little description there. Did I do that right, Jeremy? Oh, you did. You did. Spot on. So I have my lovely Axe and Arrow mug here or cup that I uh, I bought. I love here. I'm about to donate you some of my uh if you get into beer i'll have to give you some of my glasses yeah you have like 600 yeah um doesn't even like you open up jeremy's cabin in his kitchen and they literally start to fall on you, you start right. catching them. now we can't um, officially put it in the cabinets anymore so it's just like the ones i'm using are just kind of waiting in queue for me to pull some different ones and yeah becoming a mess the tradition yeah. to die. <laughs> got, got quite the uh the collection there uh this is good i like it I don't know if I like it more than the last week. The um, what was that one? The hazelnut one. I forget the name of it. What's it called? Hardwired. Hardwired. There you go. Um, Not to give too high of a scorings, just because I want to leave some room for growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven point eight. I gave a hardwire an eight. That's definitely. I definitely like that one more. Uh, But this is not too far behind here. Maybe in a few. you know, as, as my palette changes, I might come back and, and reorder or re-rank these. But right now, I'll give it a 7.8. It's a good coffee uh, or good coffee, good coffee-flavored stout. Um, so that's what I'm going with. So thank you, Marta. There we go. And happy birthday to Dr. Cruz. Thank you. Last. Um, turning uh, turning 35. Oh, wow. From audience out there. There you go. This is the prime of your life, right? There we yeah. go. Right, right in the thick of it. Right. Actually, prime of the life, but if we if we're looking at athletics, I'm uh I'm past the hill here. Hmm. When when would you say your prime was athletically speaking? Oh well, uh, they say it's from like twenty five to or twenty three to about thirty two. Hmm. Um, I'd say mine was probably about eighteen to about twenty eight. And I'd say that's mainly because I just stopped playing and being as active because of school and work and starting in multiple businesses. And, you know, that that kind of takes a backseat. But, you know, you ask me, I could still go out and and hoop. Yeah, crush your students in golf and uh, basketball from what I hear recently. From from what you've heard, yes, we had a a student. I had a student who was uh, in the prime, in his prime. He was 24 and I. I think I smoked in every activity that we did, but so maybe maybe I still have it. That's good. That's good. Um, me, I'm starting to starting to play more basketball and soccer, and really starting to feel the little bit of a loss in the step. A yeah. bit of quickness is starting to dissipate, but you, you want to know where you feel it? You don't feel it against people around your age group. Like you're still a relative, and what you had then, and like yeah, I still got it. But then you go up against like that 22 year old, the 18 year old that just has a motor for days and it's like all right yeah this is different that was last night for us we got uh either four to one or five to one it was wasn't pretty but pretty sure they all just recently graduated high school so they uh yeah they uh they mopped up on us pretty bad but this is where we joined the 35 and older leagues well i do i know you're not 35 yet (laughs) That, that league wasn't open yet, so <laughs> hopefully in a couple of years for me. But um, right. so let's kind of let's kind of jump in here on um, just you know the two the two presenters, and if uh, any of you guys out there have have listened to it, and if you haven't listened to it, 
um what's that german uh, gentleman's name jared powell is that correct oh big shoulder guy from australia i believe so he he did a great job in uh introducing both of those gentlemen mm-hmm. and i have some things that kind of stood out to me in the intro mm. what were some things that stood before i go what were some things that, that stood out to you within that intro um yes i mean obviously two very different uh career paths in the sense of between adam and whose most of his fame is um obviously from instagram and social media and you get chad cook who's I forget how many articles has he participated in. It was 300 or upwards of there, thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. 50 of them specifically towards manual therapy. Uh, I think most of us know that the cookbook of manual therapy and the orthopedic examination stuff that he's done. Uh, I know, I know Adam does do some research here and there. Um, but yeah, just one for two very different, um, I guess, career paths and those sort of things. Excellent. You know, presenters and talkers uh yeah really um, i mean just from, you know, from the get-go there it you know what their belief was the first start was kind of like what they wanted to categorize or describe manual therapy was you know fairly similar um you know i feel like they did have a lot of similar points throughout this which is why i wanted to kind of talk about it you know initially going into this i was very anti-against meekins but i thought he brought up some valid points uh, throughout but you know the first part was just you know how would you define manual therapy and for the most part you know they were you know they brought up similar points of of you know applying some you know hands-on techniques or hand-on application clearly meekin's you know belief of it was you know all encompassing of like soft <coughs> joint mobilizations manipulations dry needling everything of that sorts um versus you know um, chad didn't really believe like dry needling was associated with manual therapy but they did kind of agree on in that standpoint um i liked how chad which i think is the real benefit of manual therapy believed it was also part of the assessment and examination process versus it seems um you know meekin's uh, idea or Adam's idea was it's purely a treatment sort of thing. And I think that in my experience now is manual therapy or these techniques that learn from maybe manual therapy courses or residencies and fellowships is more value to me from an assessment or evaluative pit position versus just pure treatment. But what about you, Brandon? Yeah, I think for me, going back to the, the, the beginning part is that the intro and you know not to discredit anybody um in their education or anything but you have somebody in chad cook who is is clearly a a leader uh you know and kind of backs it up with you know he he's spending time in the trenches he's doing the work to to put it you know do hundreds of articles uh to try and and better the profession and even just healthcare in general with you know what's working, what doesn't work. Are we really truly reading the research the way it's supposed to be read? Um, you know, are we just lumping things in together or are we really trying to go through it with a fine tooth comb or as, as he, I uh, believe he uh, referenced a, a point in the conversation at rake, trying to comb your hair with a rake. 
where you're going to miss some things. Um, so I, I really think, you know, taking that extra step, which, you know, because of, you know, society, work demands, family life, social life, things like that. I don't know if, uh, you know, enough therapists have the, the time or drive, or I'm sure there's a few different reasons in there, have the ability to really take a step back and dive, you know, a mile deep into a topic to understand the nitty gritty of it. Right. So you have somebody who, who has, you know, has gone through, you know, probably his master's at one point, then doctorate and then PhD and teaches courses. And is at a major university in Duke university, which is, you know, one of the best in the country. And, you know, someone of that caliber who's also presenting at, you know, high esteem conferences and things like that. And then you have somebody who's basically just gained their notoriety off of social media and Instagram, because you could say outlandish shit and get a bunch of followers. And that's not to say he doesn't make some valid points with what he says um, or, um, you know, taken away from what he has gone through in his experience as a clinician, because obviously that's where a lot of his viewpoint is. But, you know, I guess my message to people out there, and it even comes to us, you and me are talking, we're, we're, we're leaders and, you know, thought, uh, thought leaders and, and try and push this profession forward in the ways that we can. Um, you know, what credibility do we have? You know, I would say the same thing to, to Adam Inkins or anybody else out there that you find. You know, on, on the one hand, the positive of the world that we live in today, the age of information that you have everything on YouTube and social, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever uh, platform you want. So you can get information like this, um, which is in some uh, instances great. But on the other side, you know, we are still a medical profession and we still need to have some more roots in the traditional you know, academia and things and not just blind, finding people blindly because they say outlandish uh, stuff on um, on social media. You know, the other day uh, I was told that he, he made a, a post of should physios be called doctors? Should cowards be called doctors? Uh, you know, and, and kind of poking that bear and getting a rise out of people that way. So are you just saying stuff? Is he just saying stuff just to get a rise out of people? Um, or, you know, what, what are you trying to do? Uh, are you really trying to push the needle forward, um, in a productive way with some of, um, some of the stuff that he says, uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause, you know, preparing for this podcast, I did, you know, watch some of his other stuff. Um, and, you know, I've been aware of him for a while, but I wanted to get a, a better understanding of where he's coming from. Uh, prior to just coming in and, and you know saying he's wrong or, or right and saying Chad's wrong or right, um, obviously we have our uh, our biases, which is fine because we're aware of our biases. But I think you know as we get into this conversation, and I'll leave, you know I'll kind of start it off with this thought right here. For some reason in, in physical therapy, you know I, I think we're becoming more isolated, and we've kind of talked about this before. I know we have this this top down approach you know, of, of neuroscience and pain education or cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, taking the time to, to educate your patient or take a hands-off approach, um, you know, with, with exercise or motor control and things like that. Or, or we have the manual therapy side of things, right? Or your bottom-up approach. And for some reason, we have these camps and this viewpoint of these two approaches being mutually exclusive. And clinicians can't use 
you know, both things together or all three things together, you know, or whatever you consider top down versus bottom up, right? We, we have isolated these two as camps instead of let's bring these together and merge them and overlap them in our treatment. Uh, and I think that's where we really need to be going instead of having these two camps of, you know, the Chad Cooks versus the Adam Minkins or, you know, there's, there's a like that's out there, you know, the, the clinical athletes, you know, who are in probably the camp of the Adam Minkins of the handoff approach and strength conditioning and things like that, or squat university, which is fine. But then we have, you know, the do manual therapy, um, camps the Chad cooks, the AOMS, the residencies and things like that. So, you know, I think we need to start bringing these, these together. So I'll kind of hand it off to you with that before I, before I go off on some more tangents. No, I, I agree. And I, I mean, uh, Chad Cook brought this up of how each one of them, whether it's exercise, can have an effect on even pain, even though it's not, you know, been proven to be the case is what, you know, Chad and even Adam was admitting to um, education and then, you know, manual therapy. Why not get the effect from all of them? Why not build it? Let's say it makes it, you know, one does you know, male therapy makes a patient 20% better. All right. Now we do exercise and that makes them 20% better. Then we reassure them, say they're going to be fine. And psychologically they get 20% better. So why not use them all um, versus, you know, solely keeping to one camp. And if you're really, you know, doubting this, test it out yourself. That's what, you know, you're, you know, stop trying to be so biased, play around with things. Um, I think even Kyle's mentioned it, uh, who's been on this show, Feldman. Um, I've done a period of it where I haven't done manual therapy as much. Um, and I, you know, went back to, I had a huge room. We talked about this in the previous episode as well, our pain science one, where I went really down the, the weeds of it. Cause I saw there was a lot of benefit to it. Um, but went down it probably too much and figure, all right, I can maybe just spend more of my time educating, then let's get them moving, educate movement. And, you know, I found myself coming back to, you know, manual therapy a lot for that, you know, pain modulatory effect, which, you know, Chad Cook mentioned before, that's what people are looking for. Again, at least in this society, but again, with, was it 1.4 billion? I think he mentioned mm-hmm. chronic pain. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking to have that pain changed. Uh, in a natural, non-invasive, non-toxic way. Um, so I mean, play around with it. Uh, I've again tried it. I've seen a resident of mine that was, um, you know, he was a very, uh, you know, very mentioned clinical athlete. A lot of like, you know, squats. Lo- he's a he considered himself a loading therapist, which always frustrates me uh, when someone classifies themselves as a specific therapist. You're always a physical therapist. I treat sports individuals, but I'm a physical therapist. Um, So I pull things from all the different uh, paradigms of of physical therapy. Um, But, uh, you know, that was his approach and I'd be there with him. I let him to try to do his thing. I'm like, all right. And then I would try and do something and the patient got better. Uh, Maybe it was because I was a teacher in that position or just the watching, observing, and there's some alert to me, but um you know, he was a doctor and that sort of stuff at the time. I don't know if it had that more, much more of a grandiose effect for me, 
but um you know play around with it you know if you're really a doubter or if you find yourself if you consider yourself a loading therapist or a movement therapist or a manual therapist play around with the other side um and see how better probably can be if you integrate multiple things at a time but um yeah it's just some uh some points based off of what brandon was saying on that um i think uh i think that's where i think our best you know perks of our profession really is and chad mentioned it as well it's just like you talk to psychologists and they say we are in the position where we can perform you know psychological based interventions and exercise and throw in the third thing into that you know we can provide some sort of pain modulatory generally in my experience manual therapy um but if you want to try stem and all that sort of stuff you can try it um i've since weeded it out because it just at this point patients can buy that sort of stuff at home it's great cvs has them now you have complex units in a mark pros um you can buy your own nice you know hyper ice heat and ice sort of stuff so have them do it at home they don't really need your skill for that sort of stuff um, so jay I have, a, I have a question for you do you feel all manual therapies created equal because um and now for those of you who don't know chad cook um you know or, or, or familiar with his research i should say and for the most part it's geared to uh, towards the joint-based manual therapy, right? It's not really focusing on uh, massage or trigger point or any eye stem, you know, anything in that kind of camp uh, or even dry needling, if you want to consider that as manual therapy. Um, you know, most of his um, research on the manual therapy side is, is more joint-based, right? Versus we have Adam Minkins, who just kind of wanted to just lump everything in one pot together. To me, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. Before I kind of go off on, on my my points, what are your what are your thoughts on, on that viewpoint? And can we help tease things out for our our audience here? On you know, should we hold the same weight on each technique or, yeah. or each um each camp within the manual yeah. therapy umbrella? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, and speaking of like research and that sort of stuff, I don't know if you guys saw when I shared the screen. Adam Eakins has had seven contributions to PubMed. That's the search I used. And I think five of them were viewpoints, just viewpoints, not actual research. And I think the other one is just him refuting the shoulder symptom modification procedure by Jeremy Lewis. So it's not really a contribution. It's more just he didn't like the fact that it was a hands-on approach and kind of shot it down. But nonetheless, and then Chad Cook has over 300 um well, no real quick not to cut you off the the big thing of that like his, his is just it's viewpoints it's opinion based and maybe he uses some some articles to to um back that up but then you have somebody on chad cook's end who is going through a vetted process something you know rigorous uh trials with you know uh irb boards and all that other stuff and granted there are limitations in every single study i don't care if it's randomized control or a systematic review or meta-analysis or all the way down to the lowest level which is expert opinion well we could also talk about what does expert opinion mean you know mm -hmm. what what do you need to, be to satisfy the, the title of expert opinion do you need x amount of years practicing 
Do you need X amount of followers on Instagram? Do you need X amount of uh, extra training or credentials like OCSs and residencies and fellowships? Um, what or PhDs, DCSs, whatever? What quantifies expert opinion? Right. I'm going to say just because you have 100,000 followers doesn't make you an expert. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know, call me a hater, whatever. That doesn't make you an expert. I, I think there needs to be, you know, more um, more substance to that. So mm -hmm. just, you know, you guys out there can can make your own uh, opinion on somebody who's gone through, you know, the regs of an IRB review in the process of research uh, and understanding it to the nitty gritty well beyond, you know, 99% of therapists or 98% of therapists, you know, 1% of therapists probably have a, a really good understanding of it. Um, and then you got that 0.001 or just, you know, take it to the next level of the, the pros and cons and, you know, the type ones and type two errors and uh, all the little intricacies that, you know, are meant to show up on research, but they don't make the final cut because it has to be narrowed down and all these other things that are even well beyond what, what I know and probably what you knew, Jer. So I just wanted to say that in terms of what you were sharing with, with the screen and, you know, levels of, you know, Sackett and, and um, you know, levels of research and things like that. So sorry about that. No, no, no. I completely agree with you. And um, I feel like a lot, and I've been a little bit more critical of Instagram and that sort of stuff. And look at these people, hundred thousands of followers and a lot of it's just, to be honest, good camera skills and time to edit and put a couple exercises together, which wish I said I'd have more time to do. And I keep saying I got to do it, but I, I haven't. Um, Chad Cook doesn't, I don't think he even has a social media or at least Instagram because look it up right now. Huh? Probably, I think he's on, he's on the Twitter sphere. Let me look at Twitter. Um, but he's not like, making like five slides of these exercises that you need to do because I'm a guru and I have 200,000 followers or um, that sort of stuff or bashing other people. So yeah, check the PT. Oh yeah. Is, is he on Instagram? Is that oh, no, he's on Twitter. Twitter. He has, he has 15,000 followers. Yeah. Um, Cause he's probably busy, you know, doing research versus Adam Minkins who has 123,000 followers on um, Instagram. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's the thing. And, you know, I, I still see some of these most popular ones, like some guy today recently, it was like, you know, you know, pure for sciatic payments because your piriformis pierces, uh, the sciatic nerve pierces through the piriformis or it's because you have a herniated disc, um, and try and give the exercises to that. And people are going to believe him and read the comments are like, Oh my God, thank you. And they're doing it because he has 300,000 followers, but, um, yeah, I digress there. Um, you know, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can provide better education out there and those sort of things. And we properly vet who we get our education from, but, um, going back to your original question that we've kind of went off on a little bit tangent there are all manual therapies created equal. Um, no, I don't believe they are at all. Um, again, as I just mentioned before, I, I go through trial and error, self-reflective periods where I try some things out, play around with them. Um, now it's, I've got a very good foundation, but I always leave a little period of ex uh, experimental with all my patients. Um, but I play around with, you know, a soft tissue kind of group. Uh, when I took a dry needling class, did a little more dry needling. Um, 
you know, manipulations, mobilizations and that sort of stuff. And obviously Adam believes anything, his, his viewpoint was anything that the therapist puts their hands on, I believe the exception of palpation um, was manual therapy. Cueing or cueing, um, I believe, yeah. I've, I'm a, just an FYI for all you guys out there. I'm a level two Reiki person, one, one level away from master. Um, I did not know that. When did you do yeah, that? So. Uh, one of my professors, I think she's the director of the program, Elaine Bukowski. That was her big thing. She's a Reiki master and she offered anybody to, uh, if it was a weekend, um, of course, if, if we want to learn Reiki, uh, she would teach a level one one day and level two the next day. And if we came back for another one, we'd be Reiki masters, uh, which uh, three days. You're a master in three days. Wow. Master. Or maybe the, the master was a whole weekend. I can't remember. Uh, but you're you're pretty much a second tier down or one tier down from a master for just being there for two days. And I just took it because why not learn something new? Have I tried to apply it? Yeah, very early on in my career. Uh, she even tried to present some research that supported it. It was like for oncology and that sort of stuff. Uh, do I utilize it anymore? Not so much or not at all. Um, but I guess there's some components of hands-on with that, where you're putting your hands on the individual. Does that count? No. I mean, I don't think it does. Um, Meekins himself, I saw on Physiogram. It was, I'll give it credit. It was a pretty funny uh, post but it's pretty much manual therapy and then he would just be like his face and bullshit and it was showing all these little short clips of manual therapy uh, that was a good one I, I think the message behind that is true yeah but he's largely, picking, largely yeah. picking half of it was you know people doing plunger stuff where they literally take a plunger and then start jabbing you with a plunger um, and then you intermix like dry needling some other things and that sort of stuff and that's not how it should be. I get, yeah, maybe we need to start um, critiquing and try and take those um, techniques out of our clinical care because one, it just looks ridiculous. But who knows? Maybe that does work for somebody. Uh, maybe they are confident. Maybe they developed enough therapeutic alliance to convince a patient that if I stick this plunger on you, it's going to make a big benefit for you. Um, but that's his viewpoint is all those sort of things that um, have been researched and have shown no real effectiveness are lumped in with things that we know have and that's where mobilizations and manipulations come in um and I believe those should take the you know take the throne here of manual therapy um and its effectiveness we have research to back it up um you know chad cook has brought up more the rcts we've brought up tons of them uh there's countless of evidence for it and, you know, looking at Meekins and how, especially his posts against uh, manual therapy, he cherry picks what he wants. Even the Bialoski article that we constantly reference in our courses and on the show where it highlights the, the potential benefits of manual therapy, he uses the same articles to cherry pick it in the reverse effect. So, um, you know, it's a matter of what you want to take from it and that sort of stuff, but um, again, I went through these periods where I've tested out different styles of manual therapy, and I found myself becoming more of a joint-based therapist because it was the most effective. Um, but what about you there, Brandon? Yeah, I, I don't think they're, they're created equally, and I, I'll share some anecdotes in, in a second, but you know, you can't, you just can't say that massage 
or you know deep pressure or ischemic release or trigger point release uh, whatever keep going on or you know pin down a muscle and have it move through an active range of motion or passive range of motion i don't want to say the name because of licensing purposes but we kind of figure out what that's about um you know it can be lumped in with a joint joint based therapy if you, especially if you're looking at the proposed mechanisms, whether they're biomechanical or neurophysiological or placebo or whatever the case may be, they just uh, affect different things. Um, and, and I think Mark, part of Adam's frustration and, and pushback is against, and you know, one of the keywords he kept saying is the things that need to be done in a specific way, in a specific manner, with a specific dosage to yield a specific outcome. I can totally agree with that. But if you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you'll never come full circle or come to the other side of, um, you know, viewpoint or coin where, yeah, we, when we learn, even with manual, even with joint base, the, the stuff that we preach and, and like to do so much, you know, when we first learn it, yeah, we're, we're following how it's, how it was taught to us, the setup, you know, the original forefathers, oh, you should do it this way. You should do it that way. But then as we, and this is the key part, as we've developed and progressed and developed clinical decision-making, which I think all of this comes down to clinical reasoning, decision-making, which I don't think is enough time is spent on that. Um, and Chad Cook ha had said it, uh, if not here, he, he said it in other um, conferences where I've heard him, it's, it's not the scale of performing something, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's knowing when, when to do it and how to do it. So it's not the debate of whether these are interventions that, that are, that work. They all work. Everything works. It's, are you doing it to the correct patient at the correct time, mm -hmm. right? In the correct manner, mm -hmm. right? Are you picking the most likely candidate? So can you, as a therapist, identify the person who's going to respond to said intervention, whether it is soft tissue or whether it is joint based. Um, but going back to it, I mean, you read enough of the research, a lot of, the joint-based stuff, um, you know, just has a, a greater carryover. And this kind of goes into a little bit of what Adam was saying, where he's like, we, we should just be diagnosticians and send people out. Well, for, well, I won't even go, go down that part. If we're just sending people out and going, going to, you know, go to a massage therapist, go to a personal trainer, go to a, you know, so-and-so, and we're just a spoke on a wheel, um, you know, I, I've seen that. I've had people, you've had people, we've all had people mm. go to go to another provider, go to a stretch stretching place, right? Play, they have these now. You can just go and get stretched out for half an hour, right? Which is, uh, to me, a mockery of our profession and giving the wrong information to people out there who are in pain. And it's like, well, yeah, you're tight, but why are you tight? Yeah, you're in pain, but why are you in pain? I'm just giving you something palliative. Yes, you uh, you go get a massage, but are you getting a massage because you want to relax or do you think it's therapeutic, right? That's where we as a, as a profession uh, need to not dumb ourselves down because we have that ability to screen things out and perform more of an evaluation, um, you know, with our education now uh, to, to do that and not just you know, be a spoke in a wheel, as he says, and, and just, you know, triage people left and right. You know, mm -hmm. if that was the case, everybody who gets a massage would feel better. That's not the case. 
Yeah. You know, people have gotten massages time after time after time. Maybe they feel better in the short term and then they're still in my office. I manipulate them two, three sessions, couple with some exercises, as I was talking about before, combining bottom, uh, bottom up and top down approaches. And in three visits, they're better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and if you look at the research, you, you, you can't compare, you know, that, that, uh, that company that um, you, you press down on a muscle, a little pokey pokey, right, as Adam would say, and you have a move through range. A lot of times, at least in New Jersey anyway, they're not, it's not approved for CEUs. Why? Because to get approved for CEUs, you need to have research that backs up what you're doing. There's not that much research that's backing that up. And hence, while you don't, uh, why it can't be approved for credits. But what it is, it's a money grab. And I think that's Adam's frustration, especially speaking to another uh, individual who, who's, oh, my, my lamp just fell. Um who who has spoken to him, you know, because when I was a young clinician, I, I, you know, I was, you know, on Twitter and Instagram and, and trying to figure out who to follow. And I had asked him of, you know, why is Adam so just anti manual therapy? This guy's, you know, wrong. He's an idiot, blah, blah. And, you know, this individual was like, yeah, well, I, I spoke with him on the phone because apparently they had some back and forth on Twitter. And, you know, they got on the phone and kind of hashed some things out. And, you know, one of Adam's thing is it, it's a money grab which, you know, to an extent, I totally understand, you know, things like that, where you, to keep the credential, you have to go back every year and re-up um, or or just pay $1,000 or whatever the, the money is to keep the certificate. Yeah, at that point, that's a money grab. I, I, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the flip side, Adam goes and sells t-shirts for 30 bucks a pop saying manual therapy sucks. So, you know, you can't pick and choose what, what you want to be a money grab and what you don't. Yeah. And then I've mentioned it before is especially the non-manual therapists, which are especially popular on social media, you know, it incentivizes them because you can't teach manual therapy really on social media or not being right there. I mean, we, we do, we put up videos, but incentivize them is, you know, you know, trashing it. So you take a different approach that can be taught anywhere across the world and give hundreds of people signing up for your stuff. So again, I, I think it incentivizes them to also not integrate it into their own practice approaches. But um, yeah, I mean, going off of what you were talking about in regards to the triage thing as well. Um, and Adam brought up a point of like cost effectiveness. We're talking about money now mm-hmm. is, you know, he's well, saying, not even, well, let, hold, pause, not to cut you off here. And, and this was brought up in the podcast, you know, how are we quantifying cost of, or uh, effectiveness? Or, or I think, I'm sorry, you, you said cost effectiveness. In the podcast, they had talked about um, low value versus high value. Mm-hmm. And then are we equating that to cost effectiveness or are we creating that in another definition of some sort? So I just want to throw that out there as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. So, so we could start with the cost effectiveness, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and they were just saying, um, how is it like Adam was making a point? It wasn't cost effective. It was low value. Um, care is manual therapy and made the reference to McDonald's and that sort of stuff as it's tasty, but you wouldn't want to recommend it to everybody. Um, or we, we shouldn't as healthcare professionals, um, you know, think about it in the sense of, you know, is it cost effective to really refer out to that many different individuals as well 
you know, is it cost-effective to refer to massage therapy to a strength coach or a trainer or a psychologist? Why not? Why can't we be the ones that do it all there in one session? Uh, get that summination effect. You know, we know manual therapy for the most part lasts anywhere from like 17 to 22 minutes, the effects of it from a neurophysiological standpoint. Um, so capitalize on that. Uh, Chad mentioned it before is like, it gives you the opportunity to keep move more or to move, you know, take that and then add the education or the exercise in versus, all right. Yeah. Again, hour long massage. And then I need you to schedule your personal training session right afterwards. And then right after that, you're going to go schedule your psychology appointment. You're going to have three hours spending on four different professionals now. And, you know, it's going to cost you a lot more money. Um, where and we, huh? And time. And time. Two hours, right? Or let's say they're half hour sessions, two hours. Uh, when we can do that all in realistically, 30 to 45 minutes. Um, yeah, you want to go into hour by all means. Um, so if we're talking about be a pure money standpoint, no, we, I think we are. And sometimes we do need to continue. I think we, sh for most neuromusculoskeletal cases, we should be the quarterbacks. We should be the um, the ones that kind of refer to the spokes or whatever you want, however they phrased it, um, when it's needed, when it's more beyond what we need to do. All right, I'm doing maybe dry needling, but it's having an effect. Maybe I need to have that person go to acupuncture and do the whole thing for 20, 30 minutes or whatever it may be or I'm providing some cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, it's getting some places, but there's some deeper, darker stuff that that's not going to come out in a group setting with three other therapists and five other patients going around. This person needs some one-on-one -on -one time. Or maybe I'm, I'm doing some soft tissue. It's making some work, but an hour's worth would be more. Maybe I'll refer them out that way. Um, but if we can give them a little you know, dose of each and then capitalize all of those in a session. I think that's where we can really make the most improvements uh, from that multimodal effect. Um, but um, yeah, Brandon, any thoughts with that? And I know you want to kind of talk about the differences there. Yeah, I mean, before I get to, to the differences, I think it really comes down to um, the viewpoint, what intent are you trying to provide whatever intervention or treatment to your patient. Uh, you know, Chad Cook had said that chiropractors have, or, or cer certain chiropractors have come in and started to um, publish papers um, or viewpoints, you know, recanting that their manipulations improve cancer and different diseases and things like that. Um, now that's a viewpoint, but if you take the manipulation itself in isolation, it, it's, it's still a, has benefit to at least certain people. So it goes back to, are you applying said technique or intervention or treatment plan to the correct person at the correct time? Mm -hmm. You know, is it understanding that, you know, somebody who has an eight out of 10 pain might need some modulation, pain modulation, and what are your tools to get them to modulate other than educating them? Cause that's not modulating them. Right. And then getting educating them to get them to move better and trust themselves again versus somebody comes in one out of 10 pain. We well, have yeah, maybe manual therapy is not the thing. Maybe they don't need modulation. Maybe they need some education, some self-management things and and kind of understanding and trusting they can move again and having to move. So uh, I really think, you know, 
you know, whether it's Adam or Chad or you and me, it's really understanding and being reflective in your practice patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, uh, you know, something I disagreed with Chad that he said is like he, and I'm all for, you know, not having every patient have to see you being okay to, uh, to tell them, Hey, I'm not the provider for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things he said, like some, somebody came in with, you know, wanted a, a rotated anonymous, I think was the example but whatever the case was, but, you know, if that's what resonates with that person, and I was actually having this conversation yesterday with a fellow I'm training, like if the easier explanation for somebody, a patient to understand is them relating to something being out of place and you just do whatever technique that they, that, you know, helps and they think helps, right. That they're coming to see you for, and you do it and it takes you, let's say five minutes to do it. And then you're able to get them to do other things and you're educating them and, and whatever. And and you don't fear monger them where they need to come back three times a week for the rest of their life because it's going to slip out again. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of give them what they want, but also kind of do what you need to do as a, as a provider, what's wrong with that versus divorcing that patient because you as a clinician don't believe in it because of your ego or you know what you've been taught or whatever the case is and then they're just going to go to the next guy down the road mm-hmm. and get stuck in that cycle that you didn't want to be a part of instead of trying to be a plug and hey i can spend one to three sessions with you you're on your way and guess what and it's six months eight months a year it happens again they come back to see you and now you're that kind of primary care provider what what is wrong with that um, and, and that was something in in the podcast too patient-centered care versus patient focused care and kind of that debate, you know, do we need to be inclusive with what they want and, and things like that? But, you know, if you have a hundred percent or if you have a whole pie and seven of the eight slices, you do what you need to do as a clinician based upon your training and experience and knowledge and research, and you give them one slice to appease the patient so they can buy in, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that? Or I think even in the sense of, yeah, so I get those patients, especially uh, the classic leg length discrepancy, right? Um, or my hips are out of place. I feel like every runner I ever treat has her, their hips out of place. But nonetheless, use it as an opportunity to finally right the ship. Like this person's probably been going to practitioners for however many years. I've had some people are like, listen, uh, can't teach this old dog new tricks when it comes to their beliefs of certain things or what their needs are, but use it as an opportunity to actually start to educate them. And I try and use that and I'll piece them again, patient expectation. Chad mentioned it numerous, numerous times during the podcast is that is a strong predictor of like, you know, outcomes and how well they do. Um, and we should respect that, but yeah, so I'll do a technique And then slowly with my education process, once I bought them in and once they believe that, wow, this person can help me or they're making the right decisions for me, then I'm using the education of like, yeah, you know, just so you know, most people, they have one leg longer than the other. It's usually not a true anatomical deformity. And I'm splashing that in and trying to take away these fears that they have versus, you know, all right, I'm going to do it, treat them. And then, you know, they come back. I try and peel back some of the layers and, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes the people are just fixing. They're like, now I'm going to go you, I'm going to go to my other practitioner, chiropractor, wherever it may be. And I'm just stuck that way. 
but every couple of them, especially my older patients, and I say, yeah, physical therapy, chiropractic medicine, we we sucked back then. Obviously, we sucked. Not to you know trash on our you know previous therapists or anything like that, but as a professional, we've grown. Um, but I'll say, yeah, what we knew net then is completely different from what we know now. We said that these things like you had leg length discrepancies or your pelvis was out of place and we had to put you back together. It's really not so much the case. Sometimes your back pain can be completely unrelated to your, your pelvis alignment. And more often than not, once they've already bought in and believe it and they've heard other education from us, they start to believe it. So I use that personally as an opportunity to to kind of get, you know, get them on our side and, you know, help them down the road. And, you know, Adam made a, a point of like, you know, the value of physical manual therapy and what's it's doing for the long term. Uh, and saying, you know, is it, you know, really to, you know, lethal reliance and that sort of stuff is what happens in the opposite if we don't apply that manual therapy. And they start to get down that chronic pain because we fail to modulate it early enough. I get more of my patients coming from, you know, the mill style, you know, physical therapy place because they're left to do exercises on their own. All right. So that's exercise right there. Clearly it didn't have a pain modulatory effect. Clearly it didn't get better because they eventually got, went to a second or third physical therapist or practitioner. And then what do I mostly do? Again, maybe I'm biased. Well, I'm educating, but I'm modulating their symptoms so I can get them out of that chronic pain route. So are we in chronic pain or what we have a chronic pain problem simply because we apply the right intervention at the right time for the right individual? So those are kind of some my viewpoints of that. Yeah, great, great point, Cher. Um, and I had some things to add to that. And I'm trying in my head to make sure I address each of them here. Um, one of them with the kind of cost basis or the effectiveness is what is it, you know, what are we um, comparing high value versus low value treatment? You know, there's a stigma that's becoming more and more prevalent out there that anything that's passive is low value. Why? I'm, I'm a manipulation, a cervical manipulation. I'll even go higher. An AA and OA manipulation is probably the most skilled or one of the most skilled things you can do as a therapist, right? If not, if it wasn't skilled, every therapist coming out of entry level PT school would be able to do it like that and do it well. So you can't say it's a low value intervention. It's clearly a, or you can't say it's an unskilled intervention. Pressy, pressy, rubby, dubby, you know, massage and stuff. Yeah, that's low value. A monkey could do that. Mm. Manipulating someone's OA, cervical spine, CT junction is not unskilled. And therefore it's, it, it has value. We've seen it in the studies. I have the Hoving study. Let me, let me pull it up for the audience and we could post this on the, um, uh, when you post the, the video here, can I share? Do you have, do I have access? Yeah, to share? I just said multiple. I just said it. All right. Thanks. You know, we have, you know, hoving, and this is back in, in 2003, we knew this, it, it's more cost-effective manual therapy than actually physiotherapy in general and GPs. Uh, this is for neck pain, at least the reason why manual therapy is different and this comes from conversations, obviously I've never practiced overseas is that in overseas, 
and countries like Australia and New Zealand, things like that, manual therapy is an actual, you know, extra step up, more education and things like that versus a traditional physiotherapist, which is just exercise, right? I don't know if that applies to the UK. So maybe that's where Adam's viewpoint is coming. You know, he's in a different country and we're here in America. But when you compare physiotherapy, which is traditionally considered exercise and education versus manual therapy and general practitioner, we have the, the better outcomes, all right? It's more cost-effective because it takes less visits. But you could talk about what Chad talks about. You know, it's, it's better than surgery and injections, okay? Beyond that, it's better than, like you said, supervised exercise, unsupervised exercise, home exercise programs. Um, and I believe there's one other thing. Did I write it down? Oh, and cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. right? So for certain areas... Certain conditions may be able to be resolved with general exercise and education, maybe like chronic non-specific low back pain or just non-specific low back pain in general. Maybe something like the shoulder or the neck or tennis elbow may need to have actual, a, a true intervention that is specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, we need to have that understand. There was something else you, you had mentioned that I'm kind of blanking on um right now but sorry guys uh we tend to go off on on tangents and can't always remember everything so it never helps really yeah good for gab but not for recall so yeah good good for gabbing here yeah um yeah the other thing i guess what i mentioned was just like yeah long term that sort of stuff but um I, i will say this you know adam you know, going through some of his posts and listening to some of you know his other podcasts or, or lectures or whatever, he's doing a great job in terms of getting hopefully letting let getting clinicians to think, and not just going with the status quo or the new hot trend uh, that's out there. Like you said, that bullshit post. Like, yeah, as clinicians, we should take a step back and understand. Like, am I doing a good job? Is this intervention needed for this person? Um, is this intervention just needed in general? Is this just a new hot topic and trend? But what I don't want the audience, you know, our millions and millions of followers that we have, um, my little little rock reference there. Um, what I don't want them is to throw the baby out with the bath, bathwater. And just because said individual says manual therapy works to do it, or because somebody says manual therapy doesn't work, don't do it, or insert said intervention there. We should be, I think you said it earlier, vetting things a little bit better as a, a clinician, especially a doctorate level clinician as well. Because it's all based off of, you know, your area, your people, your, you know, your competition, everything. Um, so maybe people in South Jersey need more manual therapy versus people in Montana, they just need to be told to move or I don't know, I'm picking on Montana, but you know, it's based off a lot of things, it's based off of your persona and your, your ability to be, you know, give a good therapeutic alliance. So, you know, play around with it, but just don't stick to just one thing. But yeah, that's a general theme of a lot of the conversations that we have here. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think they, he talked about it at one point, it was like, what do you say, putting the patient in the driver's seat and that sort of stuff uh, when he's talking about like, here's your eight options, pick whatever one works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the patient, patient centered care. And are we taking that definition out of context? 
And I think, I mean, I don't have that experience. And I think that's probably because of the population we see is, and I think my student mentioned that she's just like, they don't ever argue or suggest anything to you. Um, and I'm like, looking at the clinicians, I'm like, I don't think they do that to any of our clinicians in the clinic. It's one, we're highly direct access. Um, and two, which is, I believe, how we convey ourselves as, and we're not saying we're experts, but, um, you know, that we're, you know, we have education and we try and spread that knowledge to the patient and that sort of stuff that they don't ever like, oh, I want to do this. I want STEM or I want this and that. Um, so I don't ever get the, here's your smorgasbord. Let's, you know, have at it. Um, and I think that's really, you know, based off of, you know, how you convey yourself as a PT. Um, if you really dive into like experimenting with things and really pushing yourself to find the next, you know, best way, the fastest way to fix a patient, patients will pick up on that and they won't need to suggest, I need this and I need that. You're going to know what to provide from them. They'll have the confidence to do it, you know, have the, they'll have the confidence in you that you'll do that for them. If that makes any sense. But see, they pulled up an article. Uh, that'll end my small rant there oh, and also i will say this you know for not to say uh you know not for better or for worse you also have a younger patient population and couple that with um you know they're they're tend to be active in athletes and the direct access like they're coming to you specifically for said reason um so they're going to come you know they're going to most likely listen to you especially off the rip Maybe down the line, they might have start asking some questions where then maybe you have to lay out some things. But, you know, I think I think age is a is a reason too. you have somebody who's, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old versus somebody who's 50 and kind of a little jaded by life. Maybe, you know, might. Um, but, you know, you also have to be able to understand how to relate to people in different age groups and camps and things as well, which comes down to our ability to communicate and educate uh, our patients or de-educate to re-educate them. Um, you know, the, the big thing here is, is communication. Um, you know, I just wanted to show this article here though of, you know, 50, per, you know, 50 to 70% of people don't adhere to, you know, their home exercise program. Right. So, you know, self-management is only a tool. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> You, you were talked about, you know, doing, doing a technique to somebody, right. And, you know, de-educating to re-educate them, but it's not even that it's, you can do a technique to that patient and use a leg length discrepancy, right? All right. I'm doing this for you now, or for the next two or three sessions, I can teach you how to do this for yourself. So you can manage this most days of the year. And maybe you only need to come in you know, a couple times just for a, a check-in or something else, but you don't have to come in three times a week for the rest of your life. Right. That, that that's what I want to talk about. Like we can use, and, and this goes on the, the clinician and you're talking about, you know, those, those mill places that can, you know, they're seeing somebody and they have to have their, their patient manage on their own, basically with their exercises, which to an extent is good, but we, we're, we're seeing that patients or people in general, I shouldn't say patients, people in general, uh, for a, a large part, just don't want to exercise. I mean, how many times have we had patients be like, what's one thing I can do so this doesn't happen again? And if it involves exercising, they're like, well, what's something else? Mm -hmm. No, no, you asked for the one thing I'm giving it to you. You just don't want to do it. And that 
kind of goes into the, you know, what Chad Cook was saying, like, whether it's manual therapy or exercise, physical therapy is such a small percent of our impact on a patient's life, socially, socioeconomically, psychosocially, like there are bigger things at play to get the person to have to change a lifestyle so they don't constantly come in, um, you know, not even a physical therapy, We're, you know, you could talk about just the medical system in general. Um, but going back to that, therapists should be able to understand, you know, multiple different ways to teach a patient to do a self-mobilization or a self-exercise or self-corrective technique or whatever lingo or terminology you want to use. Um, so, hey, I'm doing this passively to you, but there's a way you can do it yourself and I'll show you that. Absolutely. So now you're getting that patient involved and active in their own treatment and mm -hmm. plan of care. So it's not completely a passive modality and treatment. Mm -hmm. This works. We know it works. You like it. Let me show you how you can do it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and then so that's that topic. Here's an article that just shows that most people don't do their home exercise program. So we can probably get rid of that and you know, we've talked about it in episodes, you know, I'm giving people one to three things to do because anything more than that's asking for, asking and for too much. I treat an active population and they'll still go to the gym and they'll have the time to go to the gym and they still don't want to do the exercise. I'm like, all right, so you hit the gym, all you like, did you throw this in part of your warm up there? Like, Sometimes I'm like, I don't get it. You have the time to work out. So it's not a time thing. It's just, and they see the value and they get better and they're like, oh, this and that. But it's just, it's a mindset. It's like homework. No one liked to do homework as a kid. So what you, you expect them that they're going to do as an adult when they have to take care of like three or four kids, uh, they have to go work full time. They just, it's not on the top of their mind. I think telehealth helped me see that as just like being inside people's homes, like nothing's getting done. Once you're home, nothing gets done. Like you got cats coming around, messing up the video feed, you got dogs, you got kids asking questions in the middle of a session. So just, you know, not kidding yourself in the sense that they're not going to get as much of it done as you can. Um, just to top off what Brandon says, and you know, I, I agree, I, every time I do a manual therapy intervention, I'm like, here's something that, you know, you can do on your own that's going to simulate exactly what I did. Um, and then on top it off, I'm like, a lot of the times we're talking about natural, you know, progression of healing and that sort of stuff. I'll say that you will probably get better if we weren't to do anything more than we did today or anything at all. I'm just here to speed up the process if you want to. And that's it. Um, and that's what we do. We're just here to speed things up. Uh, hopefully they don't go down that chronic pain route. Um, and that's it. It's just like, I don't try and kid them saying I'm here to fix them because I did a technique. One, I get the technique to help them within the session. So maybe they have increased capacity and threshold to do more to psychologically make them feel better. Like, shit, I could not even squat. And now I'm doing a, you know, goblet squat or a front squat without pain within a 20 minute period. Uh, he gave me a tool to do by myself. And then on top of that, he said, I'll probably get better, you know, just naturally. So I like to try and tie that all in together. Um, just to again further empower the patient and that sort of stuff. Versus, well, again, what makes Adam frustrated is that the gurus and the egoisms of manual therapy, especially of old and even currently, is that I'm here to fix you. And I don't, I don't agree with that. With when people do that, I try not to. I always try and take away my manual therapy as I'm doing, just for the fear that people do believe it 
that like, oh man, Jeremy's the one who fixed me and that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, you fixed yourself. I'm just here to kind of push you along. Right. Last thing I'll say, and then we could we kind of wrap up as uh, hopefully we have helped restored uh, balance to the physical therapy universe. Um, when it comes to, hold on one second. Um, I, I want to kind of freeze this here. Mm. Look at that thought right there. This is yeah. live action, people. Oh, what was I going to say? Now I just totally forgot everything. Maybe you need more sip of your beer there. Hope. No, I'm actually all out. Maybe that's the problem. Um, oh. Oh, what was I going to say? I'm going to have to cut this part out, Jay. <laughs> it's, it's original. Um, well, why you think? Because sometimes it... Uh... What were you just talking about? Who's? It, it was a point off of... That's a lot of points there. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. We should probably just end the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was... I'm sure it'll come up some other time. Or um, if I remember, I'll text you. You put it in the thread or something. Yeah. yeah. I was going to make a point, and then maybe that'll kind of stir something. Okay. At the very end, you know, he it was a joke, of course, was but Adam made his point of, like, you know, or, in order to avoid pain, you need to be you know, not have a shitty job, not have kids, not be a single mom, be rich, all that sort of stuff. And there's some truths to that. Um, but are we like dooming everyone who doesn't live in that? And I think most of the world isn't that, that lifestyle where they're very rich and got butlers taking care of their kids and that sort of stuff. And personally, I've treated very rich people and that sort of stuff. And they have pain just as much as your poor people or that sort of stuff. Um, why are we like kind of dooming them with just like, Oh, you'll, you'll get better on your own. Like, why can't we help those? So, so that was my um, final point. And that is, you know, we're here to help everyone and um, you know, here to speed up the process. And unfortunately people don't know that they can naturally recover as much as they can or the individuals that didn't naturally recover. What's the missing link, uh, especially again, my population, they're active. So you can't even throw in all, they need to be more active and that sort of stuff. Most of my people have nutritionists and that sort of stuff. So they're eating, right? Maybe some people need to work on sleep, um, stress levels. Let's face it, we're adults. We all have stress. Um, you have to address them to each individual, but there is some sort of missing component there. If they've already went down chronic pain. Yeah. You know, some, I tell my students, we get too much credit for some of these acute care patients that, um, Within the end of the week, they're feeling 100%. Well, it's probably going to happen anyways. We just look a lot better than we did. But again, what about those chronic pain patients? Um, and I would say, you know, you know, manual therapy does help those individuals out. Um, so that's my last closing thoughts there. I, I hope it did stir up anything there. It anything? did. I remember what I was going to uh, what I was going to say, my man. Thank you. Minkins made a point, and it's, this is not just Minkins. I mean, we dealt with this in, in residency, you know, when it comes to outcomes. And I'm glad Chad pointed out, he's like, a lot of these outcome measures don't actually measure what we think they're measuring. Yeah. Uh, but Chad, or not Chad, Adam brought up a point like, you know, manual therapists, again, that big pot that he just lumped everything out into, 
are charge, you know, are not cost effective because around him they're charging X amount of dollars. Let's just say they're charging, I don't know, 100, 150 dollars. You know, if somebody is one willing to pay that because they perceive value in that, that what's wrong with that? Two, you know, like we do this to ourselves. We're like the only profession that or, or, or job that you don't like we want to get people better and never see them again. Get rid of business. Right? Like that's not a business. Like, I'm sorry, Amazon makes their money because you keep ordering stuff from them every single day. And what's up? The one click thing, they make it yeah, easier. One click thing. Deliveries. Things are now coming to you, you know, in an hour. Forget two day shipping, an hour shipping. It, it like and you know what what's wrong with us seeing somebody for our knowledge and expertise mm-hmm. yeah maybe well, it's nice. me performing in a manipulation and then paying us one two hundred dollars whatever the number is 75 dollars i don't know what's wrong with somebody seeing us and paying us for for that for you know a handful of sessions two handful of sessions versus the alternative which is them you know, being chronically depressed or stressed or anxious or them getting um, opioids or other medication that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you don't see it because it's funneled through insurance, which is a big racket in itself. Granted, Adam's in, you know, a universal healthcare, so that might be a little different. You know, I'm not, not sure what he's seeing, but why why do we feel bad as a, as a professional, at least in the U.S., that we, it took us five sessions to treat somebody instead of one or 12 sessions to treat somebody instead of eight. Like I remember I had a a mentor at Temple's program and they like, she ridiculed me. I thought I was doing a good job, you know, less than a year out getting people better in five sessions and three sessions. And she was just like, no, like one, one needs to be your number. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I drank that Kool-Aid at first or tried to drink that Kool-Aid. And, you know, years later I, I look back and I'm like, why why you know i understand we we shouldn't be seeing somebody a hundred sessions for one diagnosis but you know there has to be some some medium we shouldn't feel bad about us providing education and our skill set and our knowledge to somebody who needs it and if that takes one session five sessions 15 sessions why do we feel bad about that Mm -hmm. and and I, i find this over and over again in our profession of oh like we need to empower people Yes, we do, but you know, we also not to, we can't chop ourselves at the knees either. We are a profession. We do need to, you know, have income. Yeah. And then on top of that, like if you go down the pain route or pain science route and all that sort of stuff, kind of behavioral therapy and all that sort of stuff is, you know, they talk about, you know, stuff about like you time, like doing stuff for yourself as a person, yeah. you know. You know, me personally, you know, my wife and I, we get, you know, couples massage, you know, every couple months or something like that. It's my way of breaking up the stress of the world and that sort of stuff and getting away, wherever it may be. Why not go to a physical therapist and get manual therapy and talk about some things and recent aches or pains and get some education there? Why can't we be that? Why does it have to be, you know, Adam made a good point of, at least with the triage thing is it's like, there is no discharge. It's like we're following up with people. But why can't we follow them up with the whole package? Why can't they schedule once or twice a month? And we're just making sure that they're mentally right, physically feeling well, 
and that will lead to them being active and doing things that are better for their physical and mental well-being. You know, oh, I'm going to gym regularly because I'm not in as much pain or giving me confidence to do these sort of things. So why is that such a such an issue? Um, you know, I think we're bastardized by insurances and authorizations. We have to get things done by this sort of time and we're under those constraints. But again, maybe as this profession moves forward and we're getting away from that, is that is a model we should probably adopt. Um, become that true family physical therapist and that sort of stuff and see our people regularly. Um, you know, I bring up some stuff about, you know, old Chinese medicine was the doctor used to get paid regularly monthly by all his clients until they got sick. And when they got sick, that's when the payment stopped and then incentivized mm-hmm. them to go help them and then get the payments again. So why with that, I think that's a great model in all honesty. You know, you have your family physical therapist, whoever else you want on your team, and their job is to keep you, you know, mentally and physically well to keep being active so you're, you know, mentally and physically well. So that's my last little rant. But awesome. Well, and uh, we'll wrap up with that. Closing remarks, uh, schedules, and all that sort of stuff there brandon and uh, uh yeah yeah I'll, I'll do the uh wrap up uh for the courses we have uh four uh public courses coming up this fall uh cervical thoracic management in september at my location in, in north jersey at pursue physical therapy we have a lumbo pelvic management down south in uh in october at jeremy's location at trifecta therapeutics we're back in november for uh, a one day extremity HVLA, uh, course. And then our, uh, big banger, um, our big course is, uh, spine manipulation in the beginning of December. Uh, it's Jeremy doing his little self-manipulation. Uh, we do have, uh, two private courses. If you guys do have any interest in that, uh, email me or DM me and we'll see if we can, uh, squeeze you in depending on how much, how many seats are, uh, available. I will say right now we're, we're, actually on one of the courses are um, pretty full already. So, but any interest just you know, email me or Jeremy and we'll, we'll get back to you uh, with that. We also have our um, manual therapy uh, mentorship. It's called manual therapy, but obviously we talk about a lot of different things. Uh, so if you guys are interested in, in joining that and getting some more guidance and mentorship, uh, please you know email us and we could set you up with enrolling in that. And then we also have our video library, which is a monthly thing. If you guys um, are interested, uh, can uh, hop in on that, uh, which has uh, over at this point, what are we at? 140 plus techniques of, you know, basically the whole body, uh, which we're going to be adding exercise component to as well. So uh, I think that's all I have for you for us today. Jeremy, you got anything else or that's. Uh, that's all. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, we'll put the link for the other podcasts up. And uh, thanks for uh, listening in. And cheers, everybody. Cheers, guys.